There's a few laws that I consider of the utmost significance, especially if you're trying to learn uh, something within the field of online business. Because with online business, it's one of those fields that I believe are uh, attracting a lot of short-term players. These individuals often want to uh, win quick, and a lot of their paradigm is centered around how can I build up to a certain degree so I can eventually sell the company. The behaviors that these groups of people have is way different than someone who is, let's say, building for 10, 20 years. So if you're over here building for a larger span, uh, it's going to require a different set of behaviors than the short-term players. Now, what are some ways that we can learn about long-term principles? I believe one law that we need to understand is that you need to feed the web first. Uh, this was a brilliant idea by this gentleman named Kevin Kelly, uh, who wrote the book uh, Out of Control. I highly recommend checking it out, which pretty much talks about how it's fascinating that when you study the evolution of a technological system, it mimics a biological system. What's stunning about this is that if you can, in some ways, study biology, you're over here learning what to do better for the technological systems that you're creating. Technology plays a huge role in whatever business that you are participating in. And if you want to understand more about networks, one of the ideas that you want to drill in your mind is not only the concept of feed the web first, but also Metcalf's law. So feed the web first pretty much means that you need to be selfless in the beginning stages. Uh, and what I mean by that doesn't mean that you're just over here giving as a bad version of yourself. Instead, you're over here improving yourself, becoming the best version of yourself that you can be. And now you're over here giving to the web. Anytime that you're publishing a blog, a podcast, book, and such, you're doing it with the incentive of having others win. Because the feed the web concept, what it's really breaking down is that if you're building some sort of business online, it's going to eventually weed out selfishness. Like if you're over here leading with a very selfish mentality, then over time, you will get wiped out. Instead, the long-term thinkers are the ones that are over here understanding that they are going to win. The first, the web needs to win. So that's a very important law. Now, another law that I broke uh, down was Metcalf's law. Now, let's actually break it down. I actually just bought it up, but let's actually break it down. Uh, this is basically where it says that a network uh, increases in value uh, exponentially with each node that is added into the network. English, please, Armani. Well, let's break it down like this. When the first ever fax machine came out uh, to the market, I'm talking the first ever fax machine. Was it valuable? Not really. But what's strange about this is that you can argue that creating the first fax machine uh, cost the most amount of money. All that research and development money, and what are you going to do with it? You don't have anyone to send faxes to. So what happens is that at least you got the concept working. 
the fax machine, at least it's not just a prototype now, it's something that you have. Now you can repeat the process. Now simply having two fax machines exponentially increases the value of this network because now there's more possibilities. Let's say you have three fax machines now, four, five, six. The power is really growing because what's happening is that you are creating more possibilities. And that's what Metcalf's law is stating. In the beginning stages of a network, you're not necessarily noticing uh, the value of it, but the more and more nodes, AKA points of connections that you are adding within the network, the more that it grows in value. Why is this important for online business? It's very important because what exactly are you doing with content? It doesn't matter what type of business you're trying to create. Uh, having some form of content is very strategic and it's very smart because content does not follow the rules of matter where matter for the most part, like this mouse, for example, it's going to degrade over time, but with content, it doesn't degrade. So any business that's over here, uh, creating a content is setting themselves apart. I saw this actually in Tampa. Uh, so in Tampa, uh, the business community is very diverse. Uh, there's uh, people around my age uh, in the 30-ish range. Uh, then there's people in the 40-ish range, 50-ish, and 60-ish. There we go. And what I noticed was that there was this one gentleman. He's roughly 50 years old. And I've been seeing his face on a lot of these uh, little billboards in Tampa. And he's suited up. He's looking fresh. I'm like, I see you, homie. And he's really investing into billboard. And I was like, okay, I see you investing in billboards. But in my mind, I'm thinking billboards, I guess it'll work for his um, a law practice. I mean, who knows? He knows his market better than I do. I don't know much about law. But then one day, like he also owns this coffee house in Tampa uh, where he's hosting a lot of these networking events. And I was just like, how's your law practice going with like what you've been doing, like the strategy? And he's like, this billboard stuff is good. I mean, this is what the other lawyers told me to do. But you know, one thing that I've been doing that's really been helping me out. I was like, what's that? He's like blogging. Blogging? Blogging, Armani. Because here's the thing. There's a lot of people when they are in trouble, they're curious. They're like just searching for answers. Sometimes they'll uh, recall uh, the billboard of me and then they'll like, you know, look me up or whatever. But a lot of the times they're going straight to Google for the answers. And there it is, my blog that is specifically answering their question. Now, once I already answered their question, uh, they want to work with me. So I was like, huh, okay. And he's like, that's not it. Blogs that I wrote from months back are helping me out. And I was like, so from months back, it's still bringing you in clients today? And he's like, yeah. But if he's smart, he shouldn't just stop there. The more content pieces that he creates, Eventually, he has something that a billboard will never give him.
You know what that is? Hyperlinks. See, this is what changes new media from traditional media. Hyperlinks. This is when you can uh, link pre-existing content with new content. You know what this means? Time does not exist for someone who is leveraging new media. So this lawyer is really smart because where all the other lawyers are over here just using billboards, this guy is getting strategic and he's doing a thing called education-based marketing. See, I'm a big fan of education-based marketing. The type of marketing I don't like is a sleazy one. And every now and then, like I could sense the sleaze from certain people. It's like you're talking to them and you want to be very wary of saying certain phrases around them because once you say a certain phrase, it's like there's this there's this script that just gets activated in their brain and then they go on this long spiel about uh, whatever they're trying to sell you. Uh, and I know someone like that. He's always like, uh, Armani, like you should build a community, man. Like the community is like one of the best things you can build. Now, all of us have a certain... Uh, polarizing business opinions. And I believe one of my most polarizing business opinions is that communities are overrated. You tell that to someone, they'll be like, what? Uh, communities are the future. And it's like, no. For you to invest in a community, homie, you're pretty much creating another job for yourself. But I'm not going to go down that uh, rabbit hole right now. I'm basically talking to this guy and anytime I even bring up the word community or group or team, something like that, it creates these little activations in his brain and he just starts going off in this spiel. And I know that he's trying to sell me because he runs like one of these uh, community manager, um, managerial stuff. And he's trying to like, you know, get me to get into his service. And it's just annoying. It's not as though it's like a smart thing or whatever. Maybe if he takes it as a numbers game where he approaches, let's say, 10 to 100 people like me, I'm pretty sure one to at least 10 people are going to say yes. But each time for me, I'm like, oh man, like you're so annoying, bro. You know, it's like an approach that I would prefer more was if you were just educating me on uh, communities from your lens. Like, I should have no clue that you are trying to sell to me, okay? Teaching and selling are very similar. Like, anyone wants to learn. They just don't want to feel like that they're learning, okay? And a lot of people want to buy. Like, I bought this. This is like one of these little light lamps for the background. I wanted to buy it. Uh, but I didn't want someone to be like, hey, sir, uh, you got a couple of minutes? Uh, why don't you buy uh, this from me? I wanted to make the decision. You see? And that's where the, the education-based marketing is so freaking smart. This lawyer that I was telling you about earlier, he's really smart also because he, he's just an entertaining guy. He, he's a very, like, he's a very... Uh, I believe he was from New York, and I noticed a lot of people from New York talk to you like one of the guys. They're not using the these fancy uh, law jargon or anything on you. They're just treating you 
like someone that you you should be able to speak to, like a friend. That's the way that I, I like the way that he communicates. And I believe that's a competitive advantage that he has from the other lawyers within the Tampa Bay region. And this brings me to another concept which I believe is very important and it's underrated. Earlier, I was breaking down uh, education-based marketing, but I think what's more important is to understand that education and entertainment are meant to be friends, not enemies. But for some reason, growing up, we viewed them as enemies. It could be because Miss Shepard, your teacher, would be like, hey, Jacob, uh, uh, quit laughing so much. This is class, and it's not time for horseplay. Or whenever you saw someone that was, um, uh, let's say, was entertaining, you're like, well, this guy isn't smart. But one thing that I'm noticing is that a lot of labels are beginning to fade away, and you are best if you are smart and you are funny. See, whenever I see someone who's very smart, I notice that they become a little uh, negative. That's one thing that I've n- noticed. Uh, a lot of them are haunted by their intelligence. It's like sometimes you'll s- see one of these very insightful individuals on an interview, uh, and the interviewer is so uh, hopeful to be interviewing this genius. But this genius has this very long face, just like, yeah, I mean, th- th- you know, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, like just this long, sad-looking face. And it's like, bro, smile a little bit. You know, like crack a joke when I least expect it. Um, not for me, for you. Because when you're too smart, here's something that you really want to learn. When you're too smart, um, a lot of the times, you may also become very sad or very angry. Think about that. A lot of individuals who are very smart become very angry in the process because they're now starting to believe that others should have the same level of intellect as them. They're like, what do you mean? Like, You don't understand the difference between new media and traditional media? What? You don't understand the difference between hard skills and soft skills? What? Like, You think standardized uh, tests are the only way to measure intelligence. Uh, sit down. Let me tell you how the education system started. Like this hyper in- intelligent person is over here losing their patience left and right, which is something normal. Uh, because when you're getting super smart like that, this isn't something that our, our ancient ancestors had. This is us stepping into uh, new grounds. Like the internet is pretty much just a library that you can access at will. So if you want to get smarter, you're probably going to get way smarter than people of the past. One thing that we do a lot is we often glorify the past. We're like, well, someone from our era, they can never be like uh, Da Vinci or Benjamin Franklin. Those guys were in a different league. I would argue that we're going to have plenty of Da Vinci's and Ben Franklin's, modern day polymaths. So we have all the resources in order to be the smartest generation ever. And along with the good stuff, uh, there's going to be some bad stuff too. And the bad stuff is the anger part, which is why I believe one of the 
most important things to do as you're building your intellect is to build your sense of humor in the process. You're going to be like, sense of humor? What do I look like? Bozo the clown? Nah, dog. Like, I'm over here trying to get smart, not funny. Why not both? You ever seen that one commercial with uh, uh, they're deciding on hard tacos or soft tacos? And then there's this girl who's like, ¿Por qué no los dos? Why not both? And you should have both. It's like, when you're funny, this actually ties back to a funny, uh, or not funny, an early point that I was trying to make. People love to learn, but they don't want to feel like they're being taught. And when you're over here being funny and you're teaching them, they actually have no clue that you're teaching them. Like right now, if I'm over here uh, teaching about public speaking to someone who wants to learn, and let's say I'm over here just sitting them down and like just breaking down the architecture of a speech and all of that stuff, this person is just going to be sleeping on me. But if I'm over here just telling some jokes in the process and I'm just like, go on, uh, tell me about, uh, give me a speech about the first time you pissed your pants or something like that. This guy's going to be like, what? No, man, I didn't piss my pants. I'm like, yeah, yeah, bro, you, you did it that one time. He's going to be like, oh, man, how, how did you know? And he's over here laughing and I'm over here teaching, right? Through the vehicle of humor. So being funny is one of the, uh, one of the best ways to teach. A lot of individuals who are trying to be um, professional teachers, right, in the school system and such, you better be taking some improv as well. Better be funny, homie. And not only is humor great for uh, getting your message heard by others, another thing that humor is really good for is um, it builds thick skin. I still know two brothers. Like, one guy um, was like this mean guy, right? And the younger brother was this laid-back guy. And I recall the older brother, the mean one, would always insult the younger brother's wardrobe. And he wouldn't just do it uh, within us, the friend circle. Instead, he'd do it in front of outsiders as well, which, by the way, is a snake move. You, you don't roast your friends, especially your sibling, in front of outsiders. But that's what he's doing. And he's over here just going in on his little brother's wardrobe. He's like, look at your shoes, man. You're wearing lugs. Who wears lugs anymore, bro? It's 2020, man. Come on, bro. Look at your look at your shirt, bro. Look at your hair, bro. And the little brother is over here just laughing away. He's just like, ha, 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 ha. And it's not fake laughs. It's like a real laugh that you could sense. And, you know, afterwards, like I go up to the guy and I'm like, bro, it doesn't bother you when your brother is over here insulting you like that? And little brother is like, insulting who? I was like, insulting you. And he's like, oh, that's just my big brother being an idiot. And just like that, he just um, showed why he has thick skin. See, imagine in an alternate scenario where the little brother didn't have a sense of humor and he wasn't viewing his brother as a joke. This guy may be haunted. He may be like, man, I wonder if I actually have like mental health issues from this big brother. And he's over here. The little brother is over here spending uh, the next couple of weeks to the next couple of months, like waking up in the morning, doing mantras, doing uh, affirmations and such uh, to prove his self-worth. Like that's a long process 
But instead, he's over here just turning this brother into a joke. And he's just sidestepping that entire long process. That's what humor can do for you. It's not only a way to deliver a message better to others. It's a way to deliver messages better to yourself. The, the thicker the skin, the less the stress. So building thick skin is something that I believe is important. It's very important because it's one of those things where you never know when someone is going to just lose it. Uh, there's this very uh, like funny YouTuber. Uh, unfortunately, he doesn't make videos anymore. His name is Limitless EXP. actually wrote a newsletter about him one time uh, where I was like, the story of the funniest YouTuber. The thing with the YouTube prank niche is that uh, when it was first starting, there was a lot of real pranks that were going on. Then as the niche started to gain more mainstream success, more people were over here faking their pranks. And since they were over here faking their pranks, um, the originality started to die down. But something about Limitless EXP, like you watched his videos, you could tell that they were real. And where a lot of the other pranksters were over here, like borderline cringe, they were not even pranking the other people. They were just bullying the other people to get a reaction out of them. So they could be like, oh, bro, no, it's just a joke but not Limitless EXP. He was actually a very funny guy, and he he had this disarming attitude about him that would just allow the person that he was pulling a prank on to feel at ease. So I really liked watching his videos. Then, you know, I stopped watching his videos for some time, and then I came back one day, and I saw that his last video was titled, Here's Why I Stopped Posting Videos on YouTube. I watched the video, and that's when he was talking about how he somewhat lost the love for it, which is completely fine. He began talking about the other vehicles of uh, money-making strategies that he has, so he's not just a YouTuber. But then he dropped in a comment, which I believed was the real reason why he was quitting YouTube. He said that he started to get a lot more hate comments. He said that, you know, it, it takes time to produce videos, especially of real pranks. And when he was over here creating the content and editing the content, uploading the content, it would really get under his skin when there was someone being like, hey man, you should have done this instead. Hey man, your earlier pranks were funnier. Hey man, this is a, a re-upload. What gives? You know? So... He is the funniest YouTuber, especially the prank prankster YouTuber. But unfortunately, I'm pretty sure the the comments got to him. And that's normal. I mean, comments are capable of getting to anyone. Because, you know, before there were like filtration systems where for traditional media, let's say you're a news anchor. Okay, just picture that real quick. You're a news anchor. Uh, you don't create your own lines. You get the lines given to you. And you have this big uh, teleprompter where you're reading the lines off. Okay. And then once that is done, uh, there's like, you know, a lighting crew, there's a camera crew, there's the audio crew and such. 
then you have like the distribution channels then you have the tv networks then you have the people consuming the content there's like all these different layers from the anchor and the consumer right but for a guy like limitless exp this whole layer that middle layer is completely removed and it's just a consumer straight to the creator so Back in the days, like if you were over here calling the anchor like a piece of shit, like you you had to like write the letter and you had to like get it to go through a whole bunch of people until the anchor realized that you thought he was a piece of shit. But nowadays, like with the direct communication, uh, the creator can find out the animosity real quick. And I'm sure that's what a guy like Limitless EXP was experiencing and he wasn't used to it especially from people from multiple parts of the globe. That's why I believe comedy is so important because it is a great way for you to focus as well, right? Um, because when you're having a lot of fun, focus just happens. It's like curiosity. Like when you're really curious about a topic, you don't have to try to learn something. Learning just happens, you know? So, I mean, I, I believe uh, that... If you're, if you're a creator or something of some sort, you know, concentration is very important. Uh, and we talk about concentration a lot. Like you talk to a person in the self-improvement space and you're like, you should concentrate better. The other person is going to be like, well, yeah, of course, I, I should concentrate better. But you tell that same person you should have more fun, they're going to be like, come on, man. We're talking about self-improvement right now. Like they separate self-improvement from fun where I'm trying to argue that fun allows concentration to happen in the first place. And if you're over here uh, condoning concentration, if you logically trace it back, you should be condoning fun too. Because when you have fun, creativity also happens. And creativity is very important. So th that's something that I wanted to talk about. Um, now I actually do want to talk a little bit about creativity. It's one of those very ambiguous topics that it's difficult to grasp. But the way that I like to view a creativity is as systems thinking. And systems thinking is seeing the unity underpinning the diversity. So whenever, like, you know, we have a reductionist thinker, uh, like, I mean, this is a, like, a funny example. Like, it's not to be taken literally. But you show, like, the reductionist, like, what is this? Uh, they're going to be, and I'm, by the way, for anyone that's listening, I'm sticking up my palm. They're going to be like, well, let's break it down to the molecules. Let's break it down to the bones. Let's break it down to uh, the, like each finger and such. They're, they're just breaking things down. While a systems thinker will first be like, it's a palm. Okay. They're going to start off with that. And once they start off with that, a lot of uh, the insights from that begin to make more sense. They're like, oh yeah, this is a palm. Like, and then the chemicals and all of that fall out. So this is the biggest difference in thinking where let's say you don't know this is a palm and you're over here just hypothetically just like really zoomed in and you're just seeing uh, uh, like a thumb, a finger and stuff. Like, and you have no concept of what a palm is. It'll take you ages to understand what the hell this is. But the systems thinker is just a code for seeing the big picture first so a lot of the objects make sense later, you know? 
And I think if you want to learn systems thinking, you should do a better job in uh, identifying the superset. Okay, the superset is the palm. The subsets are the fingers within the palm. The subsets subsets exist within the superset. Let me give you another example. Another example, let's say a book. What's this subset and what's the superset? Chapters. Book. The chapters are the subsets of the book. Okay? So the book is the the big part and it holds the different chapters within it. So if you're over here just reading a bunch of different chapters, it's not going to have the context. So systems thinkers often like really try to get the context. Now, this is one of those like chicken or the egg questions. Like what came first, the chicken or the egg? And it's kind of like what came first, the content or the context? Here's the weird thing. Like a systems thinker, systems thinking is earned, right? Like let's say you don't have any content on a certain subject. It's very difficult to get the context. Like let's say, like hypothetically, I just come up to you and I'm like, um, Jonathan, uh, I, you won't believe it. Um, Paul just slapped me. And you're like, like right now, the context is, well, Paul seems like a very bad guy. And it's like, I'm over here giving you more data, right? More and more content. And eventually, I accidentally slip up. And I'm like, well, yeah, man, like I, like, I don't know why Paul's like that. I just stole his wallet and, and just a couple of hundred bucks in it. But, you know, like, and you, you're like, wait, 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 wait. You stole from Paul? I'm like, yeah. It's like, wait a minute. That changes the context of the entire scenario. I would slap you too, Armani. <laughs> and that's that's what I mean. It's like the more content you have, the more that you're spot, the more that you're capable of spotting the context. And once you have the context, you don't just want to stop there and be like, "This is the only context there is." Where in certain cases, it's like, yeah, like you could stop there. Like this is a palm. But other times, it's like, well, now let me get more content. And that content to context begins feeding one another. And that's how you build true understanding. See, this is how people learn. Like people need to start thinking uh, flywheels more. And the flywheel is when you get the output of a system and you feed it back in as an input. And this is what creates a velocity. I don't know why we're not taught how to learn. I feel like this is something that's very important to understand, but this is something that we do do not take as seriously as we should. How does a person learn? I can't tell you how everyone learns, but I'll just tell you how I learn. So I have a very simple philosophy. I believe you should always weigh experience more than theory if you're really trying to learn the subject. Now, let me tell you the difference between uh, book smarts and street smarts. The three fundamental components of learning in general comes down to theory, reasoning, and experiences. Okay? Uh, theory are the set of laws within a certain field. Reasoning is the ability to make um, make uh, decisions. Okay? And experiences are just a firsthand subjective uh, data. Okay, so let's let, let me just simplify it one more time. The three parts of any field are theory, reasoning, and experiences. 
Now, in school, the order of importance is that theory is king. Okay, you could even say it's the cake. Then reasoning is the second most important. And experiences are known as the icing on the cake. And the phrase icing on the cake pretty much means like, it's good if you have it, but you don't need it. It's not the cake. So here's a simulation of that. In school, typically, you're getting a bunch of textbooks and you're getting a bunch of formulas within those textbooks. Your teachers uh, give you lectures on the laws within the textbooks. You're learning more of the theory. And then later on, you're tested upon the theory, aka you're being asked to reason upon the theory. And if you're lucky, let's say in the last year or two of college, you're finally getting some experiences. You're an engineer, you're finally building that radio. So that's how it works in school. Theory leads, then reasoning, then experiences. But in the real world, um, I found out that modern day polymaths have the exact opposite perspective. They lead with experiences. They reason through their own experiences. And when they get the theory, it's the icing on the cake. And I'll give you an example of this. I am an autodidact with public speaking. Okay. Like I pretty much uh, like went into Toastmasters. I began eventually giving speeches in Toastmasters. I started to work on uh, the different positions within Toastmasters, like such as planned speaking, impromptu speaking, evaluations, being the Toastmasters timer, all of that. So I'm getting a bunch of experiences and eventually I'm capable of reasoning um, within my experiences, right? Like sometimes my heart is beating really quick right before a speech and I'm like, the last time that this happened, you had to make your body big, you had to smile and suddenly the perception towards the racing heartbeat changes. So I'm over here like reasoning through my first hand experiences. And later on, um, as I was doing my public speaking journey, eventually I ended up working with this public speaking coach who's in Largo and he wrote a book and he's like, Armani, you have to read this book first and then we'll begin our first session. And as I'm reading the book, I'm like, whoa, there's so much uh, theory in here. But this time the theory, it came to life for me because I already had the experiences beforehand. Now it's just over here crystallizing my experiences. So that's the modern day polymath. Uh, you may have a similar uh, experience with coding, for example. Like you didn't go to school for it, like you're self-taught. And here's the thing. I'm not trying to say like we vilify theory with, uh, with the modern day polymath mindset. You may get just enough theory to begin. Okay? Just enough theory to begin. Then you begin. And as you're over here trying, failing, and all of this stuff, you have so much experiences, which allows you to reason much better. And now you're over here reading more books, uh, consuming the PowerPoints, willingly watching lectures. And that is how you learn in the real world. Now, I'm not trying to be one of those guys that's over here vilifying school or uh, just book smarts in general. I believe school is right for a certain group of people. And I believe book smarts is great. Here's my formula. Street smarts plus book smarts is better than just street smarts. And just street smarts is better than just book smarts. So have both. Have street smarts and book smarts. But you got to always lead with one. Like in the real world, this idea of 50-50 is not accurate. 
This is us trying to get clean theoretical principles and trying to apply it on the real world. And if you try doing something like that, you're going to get a lot of silliness. Like imagine if someone came up to you and is like, hey, uh, why, why are you using your right hand to write? And you're like, well, it's because I'm right-handed. The other person is irate at you. It's like, what do you mean you're right-handed? Is your uh, left hand no good? Are you saying that? And you're like, no, 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 I like my left hand. It's like, then you will write um, with your left hand at times two. You write with your right hand sometimes, and your left hand sometimes, it needs to be equal. Now, this guy may have the right intent. He may have the right spirit. But is that something that's reasonable to ask of you? No. It's because things are not 50-50. One side leads and the other side amplifies. Okay? So this is the way that I like to view it. I'm a right-handed guy. Okay? But let's say I'm chilling in uh, in a bus stop at night, at the middle of nowhere. No one's around me. And I'm just waiting on this bus. And I'm like, where is this bus? I'm a little scared. I mean, this is such a bad neighborhood. And eventually, uh, there's this guy with a hoodie, a black hoodie, covering his face. You can't see him. And he's holding this big axe. And he comes to me. And he's like, would you like to keep your right hand or your left hand? I'm going to be like, I'm trying to keep both, right? Even though I'm a right-handed person, I still need my left hand. It's because the left hand is needed for other things. The left hand, like I, I still shoot a basketball with the left hand. The left hand amplifies, you see? So it's not as though it's um, book smarts versus street smarts, uh, uh, which is better. It's like, my philosophy is you lead with street smarts and you fill in the gaps with book smarts. Just study enough theory to begin, get the experiences. No one can take that away from you. Reason through your experiences. Then as you're trying to reason through your experiences, every now and then you're going to get certain gaps. You're like, man, I can't understand that. Uh, you know, like, oh, what do I do? And then you're going to see that there was a book that's specifically written for this pain point. Or it could be a blog, it could be a YouTube video, a podcast. Now you're over here getting the theory and you enter back into the field smarter. See, this is what I like. Lead with street smarts, amplify with book smarts. Notice I'm doing something, by the way. I'm using the word amplify because here's what I noticed. Earlier, I was talking about uh, 50-50 is an illusion. One side often leads, the other side amplifies. But if you say one side leads, the other part, the other person or the other position is a sidekick, something about that phrase, sidekick, like really hurts someone's pride. Uh, and it may not hurt someone's pride in the beginning stages, but the more that they're over here working, the more that it eventually hurts their pride. Uh, and you see it in sports all the time. It's like if you've ever watched basketball and you see a guy like LeBron James uh, with a guy like Kyrie Irving, you'll notice that both are great. Like, granted, LeBron James is like a generational talent. He may be like, you know, like like really high up there. Well, he is. So people just naturally say he's a leader. But it's not like Kyrie Irving sucks. 
but the media will often frame him as the sidekick. In the beginning stages, like you're over here going to a few finals, but after a while of you, Kyrie Irving, being a generational talent as well, just constantly being called a sidekick, it hurts the pride, and eventually you're like, man, I, I'm requesting a trade, right? So this just happens, but this shouldn't happen. In certain interactions, um, one thing means a lot more to them than the other person. Like, l let's say you're over here running a podcast with another fellow, okay? The other fellow, like this person, lives, breathes, eats the podcast. Like, the entire life centers around the podcast for them. But for you, it's just like something additional to your life. So now, if you're one of those people that's like, well, we're going to be completely 50-50, is that going to be effective? Not really. But imagine if you're like, well, I guess I'm the sidekick. It's like something about that. It's like, mm, you know, for, like you could you could lie to the public, but behind the scenes, you'll be like, I don't really like that phrase. But if you're like, I'm an amplifier, that's a game changer. Okay, that's a game changer because now it's like you go to the person and you're like, okay, rather than us both trying to hog the attention, I could clearly tell that this means a lot more to you. So what can I do to make your job easier? And this person just hearing something like that is going to go from liking you to loving you. They're going to be like, dude, I can't believe you just asked me that. So how about you do X, Y, and Z? And a lot of the times what they're asking of you, you're going to like more as well. And that, this is the craziest thing, you know? So you don't want this to be an ego issue. I'll give you like an example of what I'm speaking about. So the cool thing with YouTube videos is that um, every now and then, like you'll release a YouTube video. It doesn't really pop off, but like two to three years will go on by and you're over here seeing that same video just keep growing and growing and growing. One of my videos that consistently brings me in traffic to this day is this book that, or is this video that I did on this one book, a recommendation, like the number one storytelling book of all time. Okay. Um, and as I'm over here recording the video, I'm breaking down the storyteller's secret by Carmen Gallo or Gallo, however you pronounce his name. He should be thanking me because I'm over here recommending the book and plenty of people are buying uh, the book from my referral, my referral link. Okay. But here's the thing. The thing with Amazon's referral link is that let's say they click that link and they buy the storyteller's secret from my link. And then they're like, you know, I could use some toothpaste as well. Uh, since I'm on Amazon, I might as well buy some toothpaste. How about this vacuum cleaner? It's, uh, it's on uh, a deal. Oh, what about this, uh, uh, this other brand of toothpaste? And they're over here just buying a whole bunch of stuff. Suddenly, my link uh, created opportunities for Carmen uh, Gallo the toothpaste company, the vacuum company, the, uh, the, the waffle company and such, anything that this other person bought. And notice, I'm not even selling my own product. So in this situation, my YouTube video is an amplifier. And it could just, it could even be for relationships. You know, nowadays with relationships, what often happens is that we're keep getting the whole mindset of, um, 
were completely 50-50. And now it's like you're trying to force someone into a mold that they don't belong in. Where sometimes, um, like let's say you like driving, right? Like you actually enjoy driving. Something about it just feels good for you. And your partner uh, doesn't really like driving too much. So in this scenario, your partner can be the person that's over here giving you the directions, right? While you're the one that's driving. This is one of those situations where it's not as though like the amplifier is a chopped liver. The amplifier is just as important, but just in a different context. You see? So I never really got why that would happen. And it's just like, it's like, when you make that happen too much, it just leads to unnecessary arguments. I recall a couple of years back, uh, there was this one girl that I was going to um, like take a trip with. And I, I recall like we go from uh, Tampa to Georgia. And as we go from Tampa to Georgia, she's over here uh, like, oh, I noticed like, you know, this guy's driving the whole time, right? So I was just like, you know, I didn't notice she was thinking that, but apparently she was. She was thinking that later. So now, like within Georgia, I'm over here driving to all the different locations. And I guess this is like angering her for some reason. And by the time we're supposed to go from Georgia to Tennessee, she's like, Armani, uh, why are you driving so much? Are you thinking that girls can't drive as well? You know, girls and guys can do everything that like each other can do, blah, 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 blah. And she's over here just talking a whole bunch of nonsense and i'm like what are you talking about i'm over here just driving because i like to drive and i didn't think it was a big deal so she's like no 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 me as a woman i need to drive as well like making a big deal out of nothing so i was like all right how about you drive from georgia to tennessee so she's over here driving from georgia to tennessee and she's making like this big spectacle out of it. She's just like, see, us women can drive as well. It's not just a man's thing. I was just like, whatever. And I go back to taking a nap. And by the time we get to Tennessee, the Airbnb that we're supposed to stay in, it's weird. Like if you've ever been to Gatlinburg, the, the roads are like really steep. So now she's over here panicking. She's like, wait a minute. Our Airbnb is all the way up there what are we gonna do so i called the airbnb guy and i'm like hey are we supposed to drive up this thing and he just like uh oh yeah yeah it's not a problem at all like you drive all the time in florida don't you i'm like well yeah man our roads are flat it doesn't look like a damn mountain you know and he's like no no, no don't worry you could do it and then i'm looking back at the girl i'm like well you're this driver right like i'm obviously messing with her and that's when she's panicking. She's like, no, no, no. I can't do this. Oh, no, no, no. She's over here so nervous. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I'm going to do it. But, oh, okay. I see. So you can't always drive, can you? It's like she can drive. But, like, she over here painted something that wasn't accurate. Now she got uh, caught. It's, it's like you can't just want more responsibility when things are going well you should also be able to get that same amount of responsibility when things are going bad you know so afterwards i was just like all right whatever get get in the passenger seat i end up driving up there and once we're up there she's not talking reckless because uh, if she's talking reckless i'm gonna be like how about you drive down but at this point it was just like she understood something she's just like i don't know why i made a big deal out of this for no reason 
I mean, he was over here driving. He wasn't over here making a big deal. Um, I, I was over here, like, you know, reading off the GPS every now and then, which you don't even have to do a lot for long trips. Long trips, you're pretty much on one road for, like, I don't know, like 50 miles. So you're not even reading it off too much. So she had the perfect job. But since, like, her pride got to her, like, of, like, oh, I don't want to be a sidekick, she ended up looking like a fool. And eventually, it's like, mm, you know, you don't want to do that. So so this is where a lot of politics often happen. Like, politics and disagreements, you know why it really happens? Because people are unsure of their positions. Okay? Just think about that. Like, there's this thing where every now and then, like, you know, I notice some virtue signaling that goes on. Where, like, let's say I'm going to, like, a like a five-star restaurant. Not just a regular restaurant. I'm like, this is a five-star restaurant. I'm paying 70 bucks uh, per meal plus um, expected gratuity. <laughs> not, not, like, optional. It's like they're throwing that into the bill. So I'm over here expecting good service, right? Like, really good service. I once time go to this, like, seafood place. And some of the food is, like, really greasy and stuff. And it's like, I need some water. And I'm done with my water. And no one is freaking coming to me asking me for more water. And eventually, like, you know, I have to, like, like get up and, like, do all of this stuff and, like, like ask someone for water. Like, I have to, like, because if you go to a fancy place, like, to find some of these waiters is difficult. Because they're, like, like, selected to a certain table. So you don't want to be the guy that's going to a waiter that's over here serving 30 people and ask them for water. It's like you really kill the momentum. So eventually I tracked down this guy and I'm like, my friend, can I get some water? And he's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But afterwards I'm thinking like, I'm over here paying you all this money and you're not even going to give me the experience. And every now and then I'm over here like, you know, telling this story to someone and they're over here being like virtue signaling with me. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Like I could get the water myself. I was like, that doesn't matter, bro. I'm talking about the principle of the issue. It's like, imagine this. Like, imagine you run a podcast and you hire someone who is supposed to be editing your content for you. So you hired this person and uh, they expected to get paid the full amount, right? Right. So once they give you back the final cut, you're watching it back and you noticed that they missed three uh, particular parts that they should have cut out. So now you're like, hey, bud, um... It seemed like you missed this three parts. What do you want me to do? And the guy's like, hey, uh, my friend, I'm actually at my wedding right now. Do you mind doing it? And it's not that difficult. You literally just click Control-B, Delete. So you do it. Then the next time you give this guy your raw footage, he once again makes the same mistake. And then he's just like, uh, can you do it? And you're like, okay, I'll do it. But please, my friend, don't let this happen again. So you do it again, and he still expects the full payment. Another time it happens, and now you're getting irritated. You're like, no, bro, you do it. You're over here venting to someone, and they're like, well, what's the big deal? Why don't you just do it yourself? It's just control B and delete. And it's like, bro, you are missing the freaking like, principle of the matter. I am hiring this person to do the task. I am hiring them. That is my label. They do the work. That is their label. Anytime there's like little fuzziness that's going on, that's when a conflict is bound to happen.
Okay, so most problems are like this. It's because people are unclear of their positions, and if you're one of those individuals who's like, "Well, what's the big deal?" Like empathy is key. It's like empathy is key in many aspects, but not when it's a sloppy job, because sloppy jobs indicate sloppy processes, and you're over here um, uh, stacking up these sloppy processes over time. Then eventually, what's going to happen? And mind you, I'm not kidding. Like you go to a hotel one day, you're having a long, like freaking year. Like you're waiting for this two week vacation with your family and stuff. You go to this hotel, and you see that there's a shit stain on your mattress. Irate, you call the front desk and you're like, oh, "What's the matter with you guys? Like, why would you guys not fix this up beforehand?" And this person is like, "Well, there's some bleach uh, under the sink. I mean, you could take care of that." Why don't you? And you're over here complaining to your wife. And the wife is like, well, why don't we? It's like, fam, this is what happens when you don't understand the root cause of an issue. You're over here trying to fix uh, uh, like the byproducts, but you got to address the root cause. It's like, no, you work in the hotel. This is your job. I, the customer, am not meant to clean up after you. So please do your job. Boom, the correct label, and I will do my job. Boom, correct label. So if you have like infighting or something in your household, in your company and such, one of the things you want to just ask is, do people know their roles? Because if people don't know their roles, it's one of those things where it's like, ugh, you're just creating unnecessary enemies. But if someone knows their role, they're capable of bringing out greatness. You know, I just want to end with, one final story since we're in the end portion. I'm a big basketball guy. Like there was a certain period where I was like five foot three and I was probably the shortest kid in my class. And I recall my dad and my grandpa were like, uh, if you play basketball, you will get tall. Okay. Like, don't you see like all the other basketball players are tall. And I had no clue if this was, uh, like, this was like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, I thought this was a fact. You know, I was like 14 or I was 14, 15 or 16 at the time. I recall I was in the 10th grade. That's all I remember. So when my grandpa and dad told me this with conviction, I thought this was a fact. I played basketball non-freaking-stop. And just like that, you know, I grew to six foot tall. So, you know, nowadays when I tell this story to someone, like, they're just over here overanalyzing it they're like you know like the, like you know like the, you don't really think that basketball played a role on you becoming tall do you i'm not gonna lie i actually do think that's the case like i get what they're saying like they're like they're like the complete science but i do believe that the belief that like i was gonna get that tall because five three to six foot i mean that's not normal like you could argue like a puberty thing all you want nah i don't think that's normal i i'm more certain that the belief played a bigger role than the puberty, whatever. So basketball has always, uh, like, like I've always loved basketball for that reason. It, it kind of just shifted my narrative in many ways. So every now and then when I go back to West Palm, I'm over here, uh, like, playing ball. And when I'm playing, you know, there was this one time, uh, there was, like, this fat dude that came to play. And he's over here waiting for some time. Like, he'll say, like, in the basketball court, you're like, I got downs, which means, like, I'm down for the next game. 
And he kept saying, I got downs, I got downs. And no one was picking him. So it eventually got to a point where I was getting annoyed because the place that I play in West Palm, Lake Lytle, a lot of the players are very egotistical. They don't care about winning at all. They just want to get the ball and shoot. So there was this one guy like who was really gifted in terms of shooting, but he had this way of just ruining the chemistry of the entire game. So there was this one particular game where it was down to that guy who could really shoot the three-pointer and that fat guy who kept being like, I got downs, I got downs. And I was the team captain. And for some reason, like my gut was like, go with the go with the fat guy. I went with the fat guy. He was at least 45 years old, like really heavy. Like one of his like calves are bigger than like both my arms combined, like fat. I'm like, I don't know what this guy's going to do, but if he could at least pass, then we should be good. Not only could he just pass, he was a brilliant passer. He's one of those guys that like, he could do these no-look passes. He could like bounce uh, the ball half court and get it to the other person with laser precision. And he was just, he just could make the right play. Like he had the savvy old man's game. And when I saw that, I was like, whoa, man, like this guy really knows his role. Like he's not over here like getting the ball and driving into the hoop or anything like that because he can't. He's that heavy. He was barely even running. He's one of those like those savvy runners or like he knows how to just do the right amount of runs in order to get from one point to another point. But the thing with him is he has direction. Like, he knows exactly where he needs to be. But him passing like that, just making it look so magical, changed the spirit of our entire team. Now, anytime that we're over here about to take a selfish sh shot, we thought about the fat guy who could pass. We're like, nah, like, we'll make that extra pass to make sure that our teammate can get the easy shot. And just like that, from one person knowing their role so beautifully, they just change the spirit of the entire dynamic. So labels are important in complex systems. And the, when the labels are fuzzy, that's when arguments and political issues happen. And one of the best ways to bypass that is to be very clear in your language. Like, what do you do? Okay, like, what do you do? Or better yet, what do you want to do? Like, if I'm telling that big big man right there hey bro uh, go dunk the ball he's always going to look like a buffoon like i don't think he could even touch his toes um so that's not the right thing but if i ask him like what do you want to do he's like i want to pass and we're like you want to pass like our team needs passers and now it's a synergistic relationship not many people think about how the how both of us can win in an interaction a lot of times they're thinking well, how can I win? But if you're like, how can we both win? And the unique thing is, you don't actually have to answer that question on the spot. A lot of the times, you just ask the question, how can both of us win? And you just leave it unanswered. A lot of like, uh, like the best life growth you'll have is asking questions and not answering them immediately. So you ask that question, and it's like some time goes on by, and you're like, wait a minute. There's a synergistic uh, opportunity that's uh, that's looking right at us. 
and then you propose it and you know you have a synergistic relationship when the other person in their mind thinks, does he really mean that? And you in your mind is like, is he really going to accept that? Like, no way. Like, both of you guys are stunned. That's how you know you have a synergistic relationship. So I believe a large part of working better in teams and just dealing with people better is to know yourself very well. The better that you know yourself, the more that you are aware of your boundaries and the more that you're aware of um, what you're open for. And by doing that, you know your role. So whenever you're going into different dynamics, you're seeing like, is this interaction even needed? Nah, but this interaction is. And once you're entering, you're capable of speaking in crystal clear language that gives other people clarity. Now they know their roles. And when two people know their roles, is accepted, that is when synergy is created. So thank you very much for joining the Armani Talk show, and I'll catch you on the 